if you've served in the military or are serving in the military, you know the importance of orders. One of the main factors that will determine the success of a mission or objective is how well each member of a unit executes those orders. In combat, failure to, failure to obey or follow orders could be costly. Therefore, it's vital that those who are following these orders or those who are given these orders have confidence and trust in those who are giving them, those who are issuing those orders. Now, I know that differences ex exist, but try to apply that into your Christian life, into your life as a Christian. In our passage, in this, actually, in this entire book, all throughout this book, God has given us orders, he's given us commands, he's given us messages to follow and obey. So here are a couple questions. Are you executing those orders? And do you trust and have confidence on he who is giving them? As our commanding officer, Jesus will challenge you to answer those questions this morning in these verses we're going to be covering. So before we begin our next book in the Bible, I wanted to dedicate this week covering a topic we as Christians often take for granted, and that topic is obedience. In the message I'll be covering today, Jesus will give us three reasons why it's important to obey him. First, it proves whether or not we're true followers. Secondly, because our obedience to Jesus will withstand the tests of time and eternity. And thirdly, because the, consequence, because the consequences of obedience are catastrophic. So with that, let's open up with a word of prayer before we get into the word of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for another morning, another week, another Sunday to glorify you, to praise you, to worship you, and to hear from you, Lord. We pray that you will speak to us this morning. Fill this room with your Holy Spirit, Lord. May each person here get a, a word from you this morning, Lord. Encourage everyone. Strengthen everyone, Lord. Just give everyone the peace that they need for today, Lord. I love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the entire passage first, and then I'll break it down. I might read the verses again, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verses 46 through 49 this morning. There, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. 
But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. Imagine, if you will, that you work for a company whose president found it necessary to travel out of the country and spend an extended period of time, period of time abroad. So he says to you and the other trusted employees, look, I'm going to leave. And while I'm gone, I want you to pay close attention to the business. You manage things while I'm away. I will write you regularly. When I do, I will instruct you in what you should do from now until I return. And everyone agrees. He leaves and stays gone for a couple of years. During that time, he writes often, communicating his desires and concerns. Finally, he returns. He walks up to the front door of the company and immediately discovers everything is a mess. Weeds are flourishing in the flower beds. Windows broken across the front of the building. The gal at the front desk dozing, loud music roaring from several offices. Two or three people engaged in horseplay in the back room. Instead of making profit, the business has suffered a great loss. Without hesitation, he calls everyone together and with a frown asks, What happened? Didn't you get my letters? You say, you say, oh, yeah, sure, we got all your letters. We even, we even bound them in a book. And some of us have memorized them. In fact, we have a letter study every Sunday. You know, those were really great letters. I think the president, I think the president would then ask, but what did you do about my instructions? And no doubt the employees would respond, do? Well, nothing but we read every one. Unfortunately, sadly, I may add, many Christians in the church treat the word of God the same way and don't take his instruction seriously. Well, in this passage, Jesus tells us why we need to listen to him. Our passage begins with Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? This verse shows us the first reason why it's important to obey. It proves whether or not we're true followers. Here in that first verse, Jesus makes a distinction between those who simply make a verbal profession of faith. And that means those who say, yeah, Jesus, I believe in Jesus and um, Jesus is God and Jesus is my Lord. Those who make that profession, that verbal profession and those who actually both hears his sayings and does them. The word Lord means master and means master. It means he has complete authority over our lives, that we belong to him, and that we're obligated to do whatever he says. So if he's the Lord of your life and you call him Lord, he has authority over you. You belong to him. And again, you're obligated to do whatever he says. So to call him Lord and not obey 
is contradictory. Now, this warning of Jesus applies to people who speak or say things to Jesus or about Jesus, but don't really mean it. Or they say them superficially. Sure, they may believe in the value of Jesus' words, or they may be saying them to fulfill some kind of religious duty. But sadly, their minds are elsewhere and speak with no heart, no soul, and more importantly, without the Holy Spirit. This warning of Jesus also applies to people who say, Lord, Lord, and yet their spiritual life doesn't reflect their daily life. They go to church, perhaps fulfill some daily religious duties, yet sin against God and man just as any other might. As John Trapp noted, there are, there are that speak, there are that speak like angels, live like devils, that have Jacob's smooth tongue, but Esau's rough hands. So when someone says, Jesus is my Lord, what he or she is saying is that they truly follow him. They love him and are loyal to him. You see, faith and love involve obedience. But if we don't really love him, and we really don't, and we don't really believe in him, on him, we're going to have a hard time doing what he says. If you don't have trust in him, if you don't have confidence in him, if he is not in complete control of your life, if you don't love him as you would your husband or your wife, as you would your children, as your parents, if you don't love Jesus more than that, if he doesn't have that special, if you don't have that special relationship with him, um, you're going to have a hard time doing what he says. Chuck Colson famously said, obedience is the key to real faith. Now, our Lord's emphasis here is on obedience. It's not enough merely to hear his word and call him Lord. We must also obey what he commands, what he commands us to do. But how does one begin to do this? How can a person obey and call someone Lord who, who they do not know? Well, it's going to require these steps of faith. You must first surrender and submit. Because of our sinful nature, our minds and hearts are inclined to reject and rebel against our Creator. We do this. We do this because we don't want to surrender. We don't want God Almighty to have control over us. We don't want to submit and be held accountable to a higher authority who is infinitely wiser and stronger than us. But the moment a person truly recognizes who they're going up against, they have no choice but to humbly surrender and submit. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to tr the eyes of him 
to whom we must give an account. We're all going to be accountable to him. He knows you. He sees you. You can't hide from him. He knows when you think you're more powerful in him or you're in your mind, you, you have this false conception. He, he knows you can't hide these. You can't hide yourself from him. So if God is all powerful and all knowing, then it's futile. It's pointless to resist him. You must remove the pride in your heart and humble yourselves before him. By taking this first step, by taking this first step of submitting, of of surrendering and submitting, it shows God you're done fighting. You're done fighting him. Isaiah 66.2 says, This is the Lord's declaration. I will look favorably on this kind of person, one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my word. All right, so once you've surrendered and submitted, you must then take this next step of faith. You must then believe and trust. Belief and trust are not mutually exclusive principles in the Christian faith, but rather two sides of the same coin. You see, if you believe in Jesus, you will trust him. And if you trust him, it means you believe in him. Jesus said in, five, in John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. If you're going to surrender your life to God, if you've made that decision that, yes, you want to surrender your life to God, you can trust and you can believe that he'll protect you and watch over you every moment of every day you live. Why? Because it says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. And in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So if God can't lie, and if God can't deny himself, then whatever he says to you, he means it. You can trust him. You can trust him that he'll never break any promises he's already made to you in his word. And you can trust him when he's made promises to you and when he's called you, when, when he just speaks to you personally, that you are his child. And he'll, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Therefore, if God sent his only son to die for you, to give you and to give you or to give you eternal life, believe that he did and he will he will by placing when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. When you do this, it'll be much easier for you to take the next important step. You need to reconcile and obey. 
The Oxford Dictionary defines reconcile as to restore friendly relations. So the moment you place your faith in Jesus or you place your faith in God, reconciliation begins to take place. You see, because of sin, enmity existed between us and God. And what I mean by enmity, there was a chasm. There was a separation that existed between us and God. But when Jesus died on the cross, his blood cleansed us from all sin, from all our sin, everything from the past, everything present, everything future. He cleansed us. And that enmity disappeared and no longer was there. So not only was our, our relationship restored with God, but as Romans 5.1 says, we have been justified by faith. And we now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Reconciliation, therefore, will naturally lead to obedience. Our Savior said this in John 14, 21, The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him, and I will reveal myself to him. Thus, obedience to Jesus as Lord is not just another option for some who want to be more committed. It's a vital aspect of the entire Christian life. Those who refuse to obey the words of Jesus have good cause to question whether they're truly Christians. If you don't understand the magnitude, the enormity of what it means to disobey God, disobey Jesus Christ, then maybe, yeah, you should question, am I really saved? Do I really love him? Have I really accepted him into my life? That needs to be, obedience needs to be something that you consistently think about. That consistently should come to your mind. In whatever decision or choice you make in life. What it comes down to is this. You will obey who you love. And as hard as it is sometimes, your love will lead you. To obey. Martin Lloyd Jones said this Love is not, is not just a sentiment, love is a great controlling passion, and it always expresses itself in terms of obedience. So, if Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ is to be the Lord of your life, it'll be known by your willingness to surrender and submit to him, believe and trust in him, reconcile with him, and obey him. Now, in the next two verses, Jesus uses an analogy or a parable to illustrate the importance of obedience. So let me reread what he said in verses 47 and 48. 
I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. Once upon a time, there was a tree. It was a lovely looking tree, shapely, strong, and flawless. It's one of those trees that you want to take a picture right in front of, or you want to take a family picture. It's just one of those picturesque, beautiful trees. But appearances are not always to be trusted. And they were not in this case. For the tree knew inwardly that its massive strength, its massive beauty, was beginning to wane. When, when the wind was strong, it had felt itself shaking ominously and heard suspicious creaks. So wisely it took it upon itself to take care of the problem. With much effort, it grew another branch or two, making it look stronger and safer than ever. But when the next windstorm blew, there was a terrific snapping of its roots. And if it weren't for the support of a friendly neighbor, it would have fallen flat on the ground. When the tree had recovered, it looked at its neighbor curiously. Tell me, it asked. How is it that you have not only stood your ground, but are even able to help me too? Oh, replied the neighbor, that's easy. When you were busy growing your new branches, I was strengthening my roots. In these two verses, Jesus shows us the second reason it's important to obey. Like the wise tree strengthening its roots, our story, in our story, our obedience to Jesus will withstand the tests of time and eternity. Here Jesus described the one who not only hears, but acts upon Jesus' words. The someone refers to those who come to Christ for salvation, hears his words for instruction, and acts on them by obeying him. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. Any good builder, any good engineer will tell you that anchoring a foundation to a bedrock so that the house rests on solid foundation is essential for sound building, for a sound building. Yes, it's time-consuming, it's costly, and it's hard work. And because of that, it's often avoided. However, when the storm hit, or hits, and the flash flood crashed against the house, that house, it'll stand firm because it was well built, making the time, the cost, and the toil completely worth it. Thus, a house built on a foundation obedient to Jesus will withstand the test of time and eternity. Now, the parallel of this parable in the spiritual life is clear. The house represents our lives, which we're currently building. 
The question is, are you building your lives on the sure foundation of obedience to Jesus? Or are you building it on the sand of empty profession? See, you can spend loads of money making the house look great. You can spend thousands of dollars on the furniture, on the china, on the curtains, on, on uh, making it just look amazing. But if the house isn't resting on solid rock, it's all going to be a waste of money. But if you're building that house, the house of your life, on the bedrock of Jesus, your house holds more value than any multi-million beachfront California mansion. Proverbs 10.25 tells us why. When the storms of life come, the wicked are whirled away. But the godly have a lasting foundation. Now the flood refers both to the trials of this life, or it refers to the trials of this life. The person who's built their life on obedience to Jesus has a firm foundation that will carry them through every vicious storm and flood that crashes against them. Whereas the person who professes to know Christ but isn't walking in obedience will collapse when those same storms hit in his life. Those of you who have been through something extremely terrible, extremely hard, and have relied on Jesus for strength and comfort, for guidance, know what I'm talking about. But those who don't have that, man, they're just, I've seen that before. They've, I've seen these people before. They're just completely lost. They don't know what to do. Their mind starts to just, they're not there. They're just too worried about all kinds of different things. But when you trust in Jesus, you know that he's taking care of you and he's taking care of the whole situation. You know, I, that's why it's just so, again, I mentioned this already, but it's so important just to embrace him, love him, believe in him, trust him. He will take care of you and watch over you. He will be there when those difficult, hard times come in your life. He will be there when your parents won't be there, when your kids, your kids won't be there. One of the things that really touched me when, when someone was sharing the gospel to me over 20 years ago was, they said, Angel, do you know what's going to happen when you die? I said, yeah, well, I hope I'm with family. I'm hoping I'm with loved ones. And they responded with, well, what if you're not? What if you're dying alone in an empty alley? What then? And that hit me. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to die alone. And that, like I said, it impacted me so much that I couldn't sleep that night. I just was 
those thoughts kept rolling in my head. And shortly thereafter, I would say about a week or a week later, that's when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. But my point in that story is, are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for those vicious storms to hit and for the flood waters to crash against you, against your building, your house? Edmund Clowney said, Trials should not surprise us or cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. Rather, we should actually be glad for them. God sends trials to strengthen our trust in Him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us trusting. They burn away our self-confidence and they drive us to our Savior. Here's an important fact. When you build your house, you can be sure that no matter how well it's built, storms and floods will come to test the foundation. That's inevitable. It's going to happen. And if you haven't gone through it, continue to hold on to Christ because that's the only way you'll get through it. Storms will come. The flood waters will rise and crash against your house. And will you be prepared for that? Will you be able to handle it? Now, what are some of those inevitable floods that test your faith? Well, there are, there are the trials we all face, such as disappointments, sickness, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, and being let down by friends and family. Then there are the certain floods that go along with growing older, such as diminishing health, strength, and the inevitability of one's own death. Furthermore, there are the floods of temptation that come at us from the world, from the flesh, and the devil that constantly press on us, such as enticement to cheat on a school exam or steal something that doesn't belong to you or indulge in something immoral, something you shouldn't be doing, or even focus on the pleasures of riches. You see, all these trials, whether we are true disciples of Jesus Christ, well, I'm sorry, all these trials will test whether we're true disciples of Jesus Christ or just fickle, Followers who aren't sincere in our faith. Listen carefully to another warning Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. To put it another way, you're going to be in heaven. 
And the Lord's, you're going to be in front of the Lord. Lord, I went to church. I prayed. I worshiped. I went to Bible study. I went to Bible camp. I helped out in the church. The Lord's going to look at you and say, who are you? I never knew you. You never, never accepted, never truly accepted my son. All that was just a show. All that was superficial. It wasn't even true. It wasn't from the heart. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. The point is this. As a Christian, if you're not establishing a daily habit of obeying the words of Jesus, gaining control of your thoughts and actions, yes, you can control your thoughts and actions, confessing and repenting all known sins, then you're building your life on sand. When these inevitable temptations come, they will sweep away any profession of faith that you've made. On the other hand, when you build your house on a solid foundation, obedient to Jesus, you can be absolutely certain it'll stand the test of time and eternity. Now, in our final verse, Jesus borrows that same analogy to show the dangers of not doing the things he says. I'll read that verse again, verse 49, Luke chapter 6, verse 49. But the one who hears and does not act, I'm sorry, but the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built his house or built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. A certain pastor shared this story. I grew up around construction and building material people. My, my family for several generations was in lumber and building materials. In 1998, we opened a new hardware store in Lake Mary. I ran it from the time it opened until I went to seminary. Part of my responsibility was to try to build business and expand our customer base. So for a while, I went around, I went around and visited a lot of construction sites. You can learn a great deal about builders, their values and abilities. If you look at what they build before the caulk and the paint go on, I was amazed at how poorly some of the finest houses or some of the finest looking homes were actually constructed. Some of those homes had the shoddiest materials in them. Others had good materials, but often poor craftsmanship. Things would be slapped together, jack-legged, and then painted over. I discovered the same thing while working on roofs. The old saying, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, is very true. If the beginning, if the foundation is not square, if it's not leveled properly and graded properly, there isn't much you can do to fix it. It has to start right. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
He's saying building, the building has to begin right. It has to be anchored securely or it will fall apart. Some folks build on sand, others on rock. Where are you building? Are you building on rock? Are you building on sand? In this final verse we'll be covering today, Jesus gives a third reason. It's important to obey. The consequences of disobedience are catastrophic. The foolish man is one who hears Jesus' instructions but does not act on his teaching and instead disobeys. So as I go through this, again, ask yourself, am I the foolish man who's disobeying and building my house on the sand or am I the wise man who's building his house on on a solid foundation? Think about that. But... Again, the foolish man is one who hears Jesus' instructions but does not act on his teaching and instead disobeys. This kind of person appreciates the nuggets of wisdom in the Bible, may claim they're Christian, and may even live, a, live by the nice teachings, the good teachings of Jesus. Yet, they're building the li- their lives on what they think is best for themselves and conforming to the liberal social standards of their communities. It's like they're eagles, but are living, acting, and talking like the ducks around them. But because there wasn't a solid foundation, as soon as the storms of life raged and the floods of trials crashed against his house, Immediately, it collapsed, and the destruction of the house was great. It doesn't say the destruction, there was destruction in the house. It emphasizes that destruction of the house was great. Now, some of you may be asking, why would he do such a dumb thing? Why would he build his house on sand? Well, there could be several reasons. As I mentioned earlier, it involved a lot of time and hard work to dig by hand down to the bedrock. So it may be that this foolish man was just lazy. Like many houses in El Paso, it's much easier to quickly assemble a house without all the hassle of putting in a proper foundation. Let me share what this looks like spiritually. Disobedience is usually much more easier than obedience. And it seems at the time like and it seems at the time like it'll get you from point A to point B a lot quicker than the path of obedience. For example, take the guy who assembled his house without a foundation and is now sitting inside sipping lemonade while you're out and while you're out on the hot El Paso sun sweating like a champ because you're digging your foundation. Or let's say you have a buddy who is living with his girlfriend, enjoying all the pleasures of sex without any consequences. Yet you're in the trenches for moral purity in obedience to Jesus. And then you start to think, 
Why am I digging this foundation while that guy sits in his comfortable house sipping lemonade with his girlfriend? Well, let me tell you, just wait till the flood hits and you'll know the reason. Remember Noah. Another reason the guy didn't bother to dig a proper foundation is that he may have wanted the immediate benefits of the house without the labor and the time to build it right. Spiritually, many come to Jesus for the benefits he offers. It seems that if they're instantly enjoying the blessings, or I'm sorry, it seems as if they're instantly enjoying the blessings of salvation, even though they've never repented of sin or aren't even trying to read their Bibles. They enjoy the good feelings of singing praise songs and the worship songs and swaying with the music and love the fellowship of the body. But in their private lives, they're not digging on the foundation of obedience to God's word. Sadly, we know from experience that it's only a matter of time before the flood will hit and their spiritual house will come crashing down. When you peel away the outside, so many professing Christians, even many who are in ministry, are just living for the self. And maybe you know some pastors, some ministry leaders, that this is their life. This is describing them. What motivates their Christian service isn't Jesus or their love for him. Many are serving because they're motivated by how many brownie points or pats on the shoulder they'll get from others. They love affirmation and recognition. But as soon as their service goes unrecognized or someone else gets the credit, credit what do you think happens? They get angry and they quit. Now, others serve because of selfish ambitions, whether it's personal or financial. James 3, 14 through 16 gives us this warning. If you have bitter envy or selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and evil practice. When people are in ministry for any other reason other than a love for God and a love for his people, it's selfish, not selfless. And God doesn't get the glory. So as I close... I hope these words of our Savior showed you the importance of obedience, specifically obeying Jesus as you follow him. Obeying Jesus is important because it proves whether or not we're true followers. Obedience to Jesus is important because it will withstand the test of time and eternity. It's important to obey because the consequences of disobedience are catastrophic. Now, there's another important aspect to this message I want to bring up. 
if you're wondering what you can do to make sure your house is built on the rock of obedience to Jesus and not on stand on sand Jesus mentions three things in verse 47 first you must come to Jesus this implies a personal one-to-one relationship between Jesus and you second you must hear Jesus's words this implies growing in your knowledge and understanding of his teachings as revealed in the Bible. Third, Jesus says you must act on his words. This implies soul searching, obedience, down to our, our, our very thoughts, motives, and attitudes. So let me ask you this morning, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Are you crying out, Lord, Lord, but not really mean it? Is he really in your heart? Is he the Lord of your life? If he's not, then why not? Why not surrender your life to him? What are you fighting? I've already described you can't fight God. If he's pushed, pulling at your heart, if he's trying to get your attention, if all this, you know, you're currently experiencing storms and floods in your life, he may be saying, okay, stop fighting. You're not going to win. You're not going to win against me. Why fight him? You're only going to extend the inevitable. Eventually, you're going to be just completely, your house is going to collapse and you're not going to have anything. Why not just do it now? Are you so, And look, I understand. It's scary. What if this? What if that? What about my friends? What about my habits? What about... My girlfriend, what about my boyfriend? What about my buddies at work? I, I've had the same thoughts. And I remember the Lord telling me, I'll take care of that, and you just walk with me a moment at a time, a step at a time. It's like, all right, Lord, take that step of faith. You said you're going to take care of it, then I trust you. Again, if you believe him, if you believe God, trust him, believe in him, surrender yourself to him, submit to him. And if you're ready to make him Lord, if that's what you want to do, then open your door, the door to your heart to Jesus Christ. Accept the fact that you're a sinner, that you've sinned against God. Believe that Jesus came to die on the cross for your sins. That God sent his son to die for you. Repent of those sins. Hand those sins over to Jesus. Confess him. Confess on the name of Jesus Christ. 
Just allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. That you may receive the forgiveness of God. And if that's what you want to do, if you're watching, listening, wherever you're at, and you're ready to do that, you're done fighting, let me lead you in a prayer to do that. So wherever you're at, close your eyes, bow your head, and with all sincerity, pray this. Lord, I'm sorry. I know I've sinned against you. And I repent. God, thank you for sending your son to die for me on the cross. I believe in him now. I place my faith and trust in him. I open the door to my heart to him now. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving me my sins, for washing away my sins. Now fill me, Lord, with your Holy Spirit so that I may walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that, the Bible says you were born again. If you prayed that with all sincerity, you were born again, and right now all the angels in heaven are celebrating because another sinner has repented, has been saved. Again, I... Oh, and, and if you need help, you don't know where to turn to next, contact us here, and, and we'll lead you in your next steps and where you should go and a good Bible-believing church. And, but let us know. Let us know that was you. But as I, again, as I wind down here, Think about these things. Obedience. How important is that in your life? I chose this picture here because, you know, it looks like they're, Jesus or the king is leading them to their deaths, but he's leading them to their next step of faith. And that's why, that's what obedience to him will do. He'll lead you to that next step of faith. Who knows, there may be Another little ledge down there and to a, a better road. Let's close with a, a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this message. Thank you for being our Savior, being so merciful, being compassionate, being full of love. Lord, help us during those storms, Lord. When those waters, those flood waters are crashing against the house, against our house. The noises and the the creaks and and the all the water rushing against the walls can be scary, Lord. But help us to remember that you are a solid foundation. And you've said that as our solid foundation, our house will not collapse. Give us that confidence, Lord. 
Lord, I pray for everyone here that's going through a hard time. Guide them through it, through it, Lord. Give them the comfort they need. May they just find shade and peace and and love under the shadow of your wing. Bless this this next time of fellowship, Lord. Bless everyone's week that's upcoming. Keep them safe, Lord, wherever they may be. Lord, and we look forward to being with you. Come soon, Lord. Maranatha. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.